being a size two like means nothing. Being a size zero is not important. What's be what's important is what's going on in your mind and that you're happy. And if being a size six makes you happy, then fucking awesome. And if being a size ten makes you happy, awesome. Like that's what really matters. Welcome to the Big Kid Problems Podcast based on the comedic social channel all about not wanting to be an adult. I'm your host, Sarah Merrill, the writer, creator, and pretty normal human behind the popular Instagram, Twitter, blog, and now podcast, Big Kid Problems. So I've spent the last almost decade making jokes about navigating the adult world. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that no matter what your age is, we all have big kid problems. We're all just trying to figure it out. And you know what? That's okay. So each week, we're going to take a funny yet informative look at a specific struggle or big kid problem, if you will. Then we'll break it down with a rotating cast of comedians, personalities, and experts to actually give us the tools and resources to help us solve our big kid problem of the week. From love and relationships, money, career, physical and mental health, bad decisions, and just general life responsibilities, nothing is off limits. So thank you so much for joining me as we navigate adulthood together. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, friends. Welcome to another week and another episode of the Big Kid Problems podcast. I can't believe we're already coming up on July 4th. Like, this is insane. Summer is in full swing, and we're actually, sadly, coming towards the end of the season. I've still got a few episodes left, but then I'll be taking off for a few weeks for some much-needed R&R. I wish. The weeks I'll be off, I'll actually be recording for the fall season. I swear to God, this roller coaster never stops. But that being said, if you have any guests you want on next season or topics you want covered, now is the time to let me know. Anyways, I am so excited for this week's episode. And I think it's a good time to drop this one because summertime, like at least for me, triggers some weird thoughts and behaviors around diet and exercise. It's like I've basically been in sweatpants for six months straight and all of a sudden, bam, bathing suit season. And there's always a slippery slope between wanting to get in shape and starting to obsess about it in an unhealthy way. And Oh my God, let me tell you as a bride-to-be, like that slope gets super slippery. Like it is very easy to start to obsess about eating and working out. And at a certain point, it's like, what is even normal anymore? So today we're going to talk to Jen Kahan. She is a certified personal trainer specializing in the mental and emotional aspects of fitness. And she is someone who has overcome a really unhealthy cycle of food obsession, eating disorders, anxiety, and exercise bulimia. Fun fact, I actually knew Jen in college. And from the outside, she was like the super fun, like happy sorority girl. So it was really shocking for me in this interview to like hear her story and hear how dark things were getting while she was maintaining this like super happy-go-lucky exterior. I think you're all really going to enjoy hearing her story. And then we'll get into the specifics of exactly how she got herself out of that place. We'll talk about recognizing if you have a problem, all the usual methods of coping with mental health issues, what worked, 
what didn't. Then we'll talk about all the interpersonal work and mindfulness techniques she used and now teaches her clients to use. I love when we get into that stuff because anybody, no matter where you are in life or what you're going through, can use a lot of these techniques that we're going to talk about. All right. So without further ado, we are going to jump right into this episode. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So I have lived on this planet for 31 years now. And during that time, I have discovered a few life hacks and hidden gems. And our sponsor this week is one of those gems that I discovered when I lived in LA last year. It is called Mad Tasty. Mad Tasty is a delicious, crisp, canned sparkling water that is infused with 20 milligrams of hemp extract, which contains CBD. If you've been listening to this pod for a while now, you know I love my CBD. For the longest time, I thought you could only get Mad Tasty in select stores in LA. It's like one of those best kept secrets. And I just discovered that you can order online and have them delivered to your door. Let me tell you, I love drinking these during the workday because the hemp extract has some anti-anxiety, de-stressing, and anti-inflammatory properties, but it's all really subtle. Like you're just sipping away and all of a sudden you're just more relaxed. And I'm obviously self-employed and can kind of run around like a chicken with my head cut off sometimes. And cracking one of these bad boys open in the afternoon just gives me this like level of calm, which then helps me be more productive and creative. And wait, what am I even saying. I love drinking these on the weekend too because it just helps me get into that like relaxed weekend vibe. Also, I love that Mad Tasty comes in a can so you can pretty much bring it anywhere. And the can itself is so cute and trendy. I swear people used to stop me on the street and be like, what is that? I'm going to link Mad Tasty in show notes so you can check it out for yourself. But if you want to give it a try, I have a little discount code for you. Just head to madtasty.com and use code BIGKID at checkout. Trust me, you're going to want to stock up on these. It's like the perfect hydrating, relaxing summer beverage. Again, that's madtasty.com and use that code BIGKID at checkout. All right, Jen, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? (laughs) Good. Thanks for having me, Sarah. I'm super excited to be here. Of course. I'm excited for you to be here. Uh, It's so funny because I haven't seen you since college. We were, wait, just a quick backstory for our listeners. Uh, (laughs) We were buddies in college. We were in different sororities, but we were still friends. And it's so funny because when I think about you, then I think of like my perception was that you were just like this really beautiful, you know, fun sorority oh, <laughs> girl, super social, like always having fun. But you know, we've recently connected, and I'm understanding now that like there was something a little bit darker going on underneath the surface. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I grew. I mean, I'll give you a bit of backstory prior to us knowing each other, Sarah. I, you know, I grew up in Florida with if right there. Pretty- that's that's where all the trauma goes. <laughs> no kidding. We're just crazy Florida people, aren't we? Um, No, I grew up in Florida, you know, with a really normal life. You know, I have an older sister. I have parents. My parents are still married to this day. They were always very present in my life. You know, I have everything I wanted and everything I needed. Um, Literally, like, nothing to complain about. But once I got into college is when, you know, the mental health kind of 
took hold. You know, I found myself like, well, I thrusted myself into this sorority life. And Sarah, you know what that's like. And, you know, I started to feel a lot of the pressure of like, I need to be pretty. I need to be skinny. I need to be smart. I need to be articulate. I need the boys to like me. I need the girls to be, want to be friends with me. I need all of this shit that like didn't really matter prior, prior to. So throughout college, I kind of started to navigate like this new adulthood. And what I found is it was scary and I just felt like I couldn't do it. So I drank a lot. I did drugs. I slept around. I betrayed friends. I was a liar. I was all of these things. But I put on this brave face of what you just described, Sarah, of, you know, someone who's fun and bubbly and and social and this and that, whatever. But, you know, I was none of those things. That was just this mask that I put on for people to perceive me as. And what was actually going on is I was hating myself, like on a daily basis, just I'm not pretty enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not smart enough. People don't like me. Boys don't want to date me. Like I'm going nowhere in life. And things just over the the span of my college career just kept spiraling and snowballing. And then a couple months before I graduated, I actually tried to to kill myself because I felt like, you know, I hadn't accomplished anything and I wasn't going to accomplish anything. I was getting ready to graduate. I didn't have an internship lined up. You know, I wasn't going to law school. I wasn't doing all these things that in my mind were perceived as great things. And so, yeah, one night I just took it upon myself to try to drown myself in a bathtub and, you know, thankfully was unsuccessful. But that was kind of the beginning of my mental health journey. Um, So, you know, after I graduated from college, I, I... felt like I had kind of gotten the depression, but part of me also wasn't really 100% sure what depression was. I didn't even know what was going on. I didn't know why I hated myself so much. I didn't know why I tried to kill myself. And so- Did you, did you tell anybody after that happened? Not a soul. I didn't tell anybody for like years. I know. We, before we started this interview, you mentioned that. And I was, I mean, I'm still, I'm like shocked by it. <laughs> You know, I mean, yeah, and it's it's funny because now I think about it, and how many other people that we knew, Sarah, might have been going through the same thing, and they were just scared. And for a long time after that incident, I was embarrassed. I was so embarrassed, and because I didn't view it as a cry for help, I I viewed it as like a pathetic move. So I was embarrassed, and for years I never told anybody. It's only been in the past, I'd say, three or four years that I felt comfortable to say I. I've tried this. Um, and I've, you know, I've been to that, that place. So yeah. So then I moved on from college. I moved to South Korea and that was when it was like college was depression. Korea was anxiety, which is so, cause when I moved to Korea, it was like when I first started experiencing anxiety because I was living in a foreign country, English was prevalent, but it wasn't the first language. And I was just so paranoid and I was so anxious and I was just scared at any given moment I was going to be deported. Like I had Hmm. this really irrational fear of being deported. And so I had then gone to see a therapist. I was like, okay, this is enough is enough. Like I need to go see a therapist. And you you went in South Korea? I did. And then you got home. (laughs) No, this is when I was still in South Korea. And what and what he did is he kind of just like threw medication at me. He was like, here, take these, you know, these antidepressants, these anti-anxiety pills and see you later. And then 
One time when I was in South Korea, I had a full blown panic attack in which my boss had to take me to the hospital and I had to be, I had to be sedated. And I went to my therapist and I was like, look, I had a full blown panic attack. And he was like, yeah, yeah. But like, did you take your medication that day? And I was like, well, no, I was having a panic attack. And he's like, well, that's why you have a panic attack. And I'm like, okay, thanks buddy. Like, (laughs) you know, and that was my first kind of forelay in treating the mental health. So, you know, time kind of progressed and stuff like that. And then I moved to London and then London is where the eating disorders kind of crept up. They had kind of been prevalent. I remember experiencing my first like binge in Korea and I've tried to think of other instances in that time frame, but it weren't so bad. It wasn't until I got to London when I started to become really self-aware that it made it worse. And so what I found is when I was in situations where I wasn't feeling loved, I would cope with food. And what I would do is I would I would have this feeling, this irrational feeling of not feeling loved. And I would go to the supermarket almost it was almost like I was in a drunken haze. I remember one time being like, I'm in the midst of a binge and I can't stop myself. And I would just go and I would just buy God knows what, eat it all and have panic attacks afterwards. And I weirdly thought it was normal and I would rationalize it with exercise. And I would say to myself, okay, I've had eight donuts. That's 80 minutes on the treadmill tomorrow, you know, 10 minutes per donut. I don't know where that came from, but you know, it was this, I've done something bad. Now I need to punish myself. And that's Mm. kind of when the cycle of binging, then restricting, then exercising to death to, to deal with, you know, the binge and the, and whatever else that cycle then started to creep up and stuff. And so you were, you weren't actually like throwing up because when I think of like bulimia, um, I think of, you know, you binge and then you purge, but there's like an exercise bulimia too. Yeah. And I very, you know, what's really interesting about um, eating disorders is most people don't really fit into one box. Like most people are not like, I'm bulimic. That's it. End of story. Most people are bulimic, anorexic, bingers, exercise bulimics. Um, There's another type orthorexia. Like most people are a combination of some. So uh, I mean, if you want to put me into boxes, I exercise bulimia for sure, binge eater and anorexic. And it was... Mm. It was a combination of all three of those things, which are all super, super unhealthy. And so funnily enough, I was in a, in a particular bout of depression and I was just not getting out of bed. I like, you know, I had a doctor sign me off from work. I wasn't at work for months and I started to tell myself, okay, you got to get out of the house. You got to do something. And I started to go to the gym and I would just tell myself, just go do the minimum, see how you feel. And from there, it it started to progress to like working out and like getting in shape. And one day it was like, I don't even know. I just like was coming out of my fitness class and I experienced this like euphoria that I'd never experienced before. And I just walked up to the front desk and I was like, Hey guys, I want to work here. Like what I just did in that, in that classroom was amazing. And I want to do this for other people. So that was kind of when I realized that exercise can actually work for you rather than against you. Because I started to go there just to simply get out of the house. I hadn't even really done it in a, in a weight loss aspect. I had done it just simply to get out of the house. And I made friends, which helped. I um, 
and I started just experiencing the how good it really feels to exercise. Like I know that sounds really weird, but exercising feels good to me. And mm-hmm. so so I kind of just went with that. And so I had gotten from my perspective at that time, I had gotten my exercise under control. I knew that I could exercise and it wasn't punishment. It was enjoyable and I loved it and I wanted to keep doing it. However, I was still struggling with the food and I would still find myself like, you know, my now husband, if my boyfriend was like late for something, I'm like, he doesn't love me. And I would binge. Like it, it was a very irrational train of thoughts. And I would like have this binge and then I would cry and cry and cry. Cause I'm like, what did I just do? What did I just do? And then were you, were so, you still going to therapy at this point? Yeah. Like, I would love to hear, I'd love to hear about some of the things that you were trying. Cause I know you mentioned like you were kind of trying everything. Yeah. So at this time I was still going to therapy. I was still going to medication. Um, I mean, I wouldn't recommend this to people because you need to consult with a doctor, but I actually, throughout this, I just forgot to take my medication. And then I told my therapist that, and he was like, you know what? You forgot. You're okay. Don't worry about it. Um, and then I was still, so I was still seeing my therapist. And at this point I was like pretty much off the medication, but I was still like dealing with like the food. And so I was so fucking scared, Sarah. Like, I didn't know what was going on. All I knew is what was happening was just not okay. Like, this wasn't, it wasn't like I'd do this once a week. I would do this like every other day. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I came across a post on, on Instagram that was like, do you, like, you know, <laughs> it was very PSA. It was like, do you binge and then cry and feel shameful afterwards? You might be a binge eater. And I was like, holy shit, that's me. And so, but I was scared and I was so, again, like the suicide, I was so embarrassed, so embarrassed to turn to anybody, any of my friends, my boyfriend, my, my family to be like, Hey guys, just so you know, like I eat like a fat fuck, you know, five nights a week. And then I cry about it afterwards and I feel shameful and I don't know what to do about it. So, you know, again, it became like this, this facade of like, I'm okay. But what was interesting about the facade of, of an eating disorder is that it takes up a lot of your mental space to, to hide it from people. So, mm. you know, I went on vacation, I went to Croatia with a friend of mine and I was thinking to myself, how am I going to hide this? How am I going to hide this? And like, we'd be laying on the beach and I'm like, uh, I'm feeling like this urge for a binge, but I'm here with my friends so I can't do anything. Like, what can I do? Can I just like tell her I'm going to the, like, you know, the gas station and just like, you know, it, but it was just, my brain was so consumed with this eating stuff. And I was just like, enough is enough. I don't, I don't want this. I want to free my brain from all of the mental health shit. Mm. So, so what can I do? So I started reading loads of books about binge eating and other eating disorders. I went to um, OA meetings. I started meeting, connecting with other people who were in my same situation. Did you, did you say OA meetings? Yeah, OA meetings are um, Overeaters Anonymous, but mm. which is a is a tad misleading. I mean, it's it's the same along the lines of Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous, but it, it's it's called Overeaters Anonymous. But like any like any eating disorder can come there. And I started connecting with like minded people, and slowly I started to I started to meditate a lot during this time because I wanted to know why I was doing this at the time. I didn't know. And so I started to meditate a lot and it, I came down, you know, I was able to pull up through these meditations, like instances from my childhood in which food was love and Mm. other, you know, and other subsequent 
events which made me feel love from food. And so then I broke it down a lot. I broke it down. And this is all in my head through journaling, through um, meditations and things like that. And that's what it came down to. If I didn't feel loved, food was the substitute for that. Hmm. And so once I came to that That, realization... That's pretty powerful too. Like I don't even want to breeze over that because it sounds like you did a lot of self-work or a lot of self-work to to come to those realizations. Like that's not an easy thing to do. No, not at all. And it was, and it's, it's incredibly emotional. It's very labor heavy. Like, so I was doing this all while I was kind of like newly in the relationship with my now husband. And I remember him trying to talk to me one day and I was just like, look, I am dealing with this. I, and I was too afraid to tell him. So he didn't even know what this was. I was like, look, I'm dealing with this and I just need to save all of my brain capacity, all of my emotional capacity for this at the moment. So like, I'll call you tomorrow kind of thing. <laughs> and um, he was super great about it and everything. And yeah, it was a lot of sitting down and really thinking because a lot of times people like look back on their childhood and they're like, yeah, it was a great childhood. But when you really start to nitpick events from your past, you then start to see what is really causing these things. You know, I was able to draw up like instances from my first ever boyfriend when I was 18, when he was like shaming me for eating a pizza. But I was able to draw that up and other instances when I felt unloved and then I would use food to make up for that. So, you know, after all this and kind of coming to the realization of what was really causing these binges and these, and these, sorry, restrictions, and then these like over workouts and stuff like that, like I was then able to actually heal from it because then I was able to make myself mindful enough to the fact of, okay, so boyfriend's going to be late. That's kind of just who he is as a person. It doesn't actually reflect how much he loves me. So hmm. I don't need to fill myself with anything right now. It's a bit annoying. He's late, but it's not a reflection of his love for me, period. And so from there and being more mindful, I was then actually able to adopt a better relationship with food. A lot of the times, like we feel like we need these rules when it comes to food. Don't eat carbs. Don't eat sugar. Don't eat you know white bread. Don't eat this X, Y, and Z. And the idea of getting rid of any of those rules is terrifying because part, uh, part, in my experience, having these issues with food, part of it was the thought that if I was skinny, my life would be a lot better, which in retrospect sounds absolutely insane. Like nothing's going to change. My job's not going to change. My you know, salary's not going to change. My relationship's not going to change if I'm thin. What will change, although all of those things will change if I stop thinking about this shit, if I stop obsessing about this stuff. Mm. And so that, yeah. That's so, such a huge shift. Oh, because yeah, I think absolutely. it's such a common thing, especially, I hate to say it, but like females, especially, I mean, we're not to go into like a whole rant, but like we're all kind of programmed through society, through magazines, through everything we watch, the Barbies we play with, like this perception of outward beauty is so important. So for you to be able to make that shift is again, like, I don't want to gloss over it because that's a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah. It's a huge amount of work. And another funny thing is, is I came to this realization as well as like, I'm nobody famous. I'm just 
Jen, you know, like I'm living my life. Like I've got my friends, I've got my family. Like if I'm not a size zero, who's going to A, know about it, B, give a shit. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't fucking matter, you know? And if I eat a donut, again, who's going to know about it? Nobody. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? So once I was able to kind of like free myself, because again, freeing yourself from rules of restrictions and years of diet culture. So my, so also my mom is a dietitian, so, and a baby boomer. So, you know, her views on food were also a bit restrictive as well. And there were comments made growing up by her and my grandma and all this kind of thing. So those were things that I dug up when I was doing the self-work on it. But I had to like deprogram it and just say, you know what? These rules don't matter. They don't pertain to me. And I'm just going to do what I want to do that makes me feel good. And if that means eating a pizza for dinner and then, you know, six bagels for breakfast the next day, I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to feel guilty about it. I'm not going to apologize for it. And I'm also not going to sit here and like exercise myself to death as punishment for, for doing what is deemed bad. Because a lot of people think that food is bad. We need food to live. If you don't eat, you'll die, period. Mm-hmm. So the perception that any type of food in the world is bad is wrong. It's just society telling you these things. So once you get rid of those rules, Sarah, my God, like your brain just frees itself. And I could read books and I can have intelligent conversations with my my now husband and I could connect better with my friends. I could sleep better, Sarah, like because I wasn't sit laying in bed like dr- feeling horrible about dinner or like, oh God, I ate dinner and now I have to starve myself the next day. You know what I mean? And that was the main thing is now I have this new lease on life because I actually have the brain capacity to, to, to do it, you know, and I can, and I can do whatever I want because I'm not sitting here obsessing about food and exercise. I mean, that's, that's huge. That's amazing. Um, I'm so curious, like how you untethered yourself to those, those ideas about food, because even hearing that, I mean, I, I don't think I'm obsessive, but like, I can be a little bit a little bit, I guess, you know, when I think about it and I, I, I'm always of the camp, like if I want a cookie, like I'm going to eat a cookie and not feel bad about it. But I think there is a line between like what you deem okay and able to do. And then like, where do you, do you ever teeter that line of like, Oh, am I being obsessive? Like if I have the six bagels in the morning, like does anything in your brain trigger? Like, uh Oh, maybe I'm slipping back. Like, I'm interested, like where you kind of teeter that line? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, because I do so because it's it's not you know a lot of this is like recovery. I mean, if you were to go to OA meetings and stuff, you are in recovery. You're never really recovered. But and I do sometimes like when I'm with my friends, like my they'll make a comment like, oh, you know, oh, I was naughty. I had a you know, eggs Benedict or whatever and stuff. And I'm like, oh God, yeah, me too. I had a burrito or whatever and stuff. And I do, and I do when that happens, I try and catch myself and think. I did eat that burrito, but how do I really feel about it? And sometimes if I'm feeling particularly maybe starting to err on the side of obsessive, I'll, I'll sit down with myself and I'll say, you know what, it's lunchtime. What do you want for lunch? And kind of like ask myself, what do you really want for lunch? Nine times out of, the, out of 10, it, it's something healthy because your body will cr- like tell you, you know, give you these cues of, of what you really want. And then some, but sometimes it is, you know, I want, it's Tuesday. I want some tacos and I'll go and I'll get them and I will love them. And that's it. And, <laughs> and, and I'll, me want a taco right now. 
(laughs) And I think what's key to focusing on the obsessiveness is how are you going to feel about this? Are you going to feel horrible about eating the tacos? If you are, don't eat the tacos, not in an obsessive way, but because you haven't quite healed your relationship with food yet. Mm. But if you can eat those tacos and love them and love every second and every morsel of ground beef and sour cream, then do it. Because yeah. at the end of the day, at the end of the day, who fucking cares? Like it doesn't matter. It literally yeah. does not matter. I think there's like a big piece of like moderation in this, you know, like having the things, but also like, you know, not taking it to an extreme where you actually feel bad. <laughs> you know, like having tacos one day, if I have tacos like if I have like 12 tacos three days in a row, like I'm probably not going to feel so great. I don't know. No, I get what you're saying. Like, thing is, if you eat tacos three days in a row, you might not physically feel great because, you know, sometimes, you know, these things don't weigh well in your body. And that's just, a, you know, that's a physical thing. Um, from an emotional perspective, I mean, I don't know why anyone would eat tacos three days in a row and like feel bad emotionally about it. There's no reason on earth we need food to live. If you think about it, really, tacos have plenty of nourishment. You've got your protein, you've got your um, you know, fruits and vegetables, if you have salsa and whatnot. These are th- like, at the end of the day, life is too short to feel guilty about what you put in your mouth. Mm-hmm. So, so just do it and love it and enjoy it. You're not going to lay on your deathbed and think, man, I ate too much my whole life. Yeah, you know, you're, you're I really not. regret those tacos from <laughs> this month when I was 25. Uh, one thing that I keeps like bringing up to me, I mean, this is just something that kind of helps me with food. And I don't know if you did anything similar to this um, while you were kind of going through this process. Uh, and it had nothing to do with calorie intake. It had nothing to do with me looking good, but I was going through some like health issues and I was working with um, a dietitian. I was like, every time I eat, like I feel sick. And she's like, okay, you need to write down like every piece of food that you're putting in your body and then wait 30 minutes and then put in like, I had like a journal, like I had like a note section Mm -hmm. on my phone where I would eat something. She was like, eat whatever you want. And then she's like, 30 minutes later, I want you to write what you feel in your body, like exactly how Mm -hmm. you feel. So you can start to pinpoint like, what foods are triggering you, what foods are safe. And doing that was like such an eye-opening experience. Um, and since then, I just like approach the way I eat food a lot differently. Like I'm, I always kind of like approach food of like what makes my body feel good. And I know like there are certain foods. I know that there's certain foods that are I love, like cheese. <laughs> like I love, <laughs> I could eat cheese, breakfast, lunch, dinner, uh-huh. dessert, uh, all day long. But I know like after doing this for a long, like I think I did it for like three weeks in a row and every with every meal and pretty pretty soon I started to associate, okay, when I eat cheese, I feel bad. Like I don't feel good. Mm-hmm. And it may, really made me like stop craving those foods and like actually crave more of the healthy foods that I could feel were making me feel better. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I mean that's kind of in the scope of like intuitive eating, which I won't go into too much because I don't I I don't claim to be an expert on intuitive eating, but like your body does tell you what you want. So interestingly enough, once I like overcame my fear of fruit, which is another thing that people are like absolutely afraid of, once I overcame my fear of fruit, I started craving it so much because Wait, how, the, you were afraid of fruit. I want to unpack that. For a <laughs> 
like all fruit, like apples. Like what, what was that about? <laughs> I was afraid of fruit because the carbs and the sugar. Mm. so you know that was me in my life of food restrictions of like don't have fruit because you know carb sugar like it's bad for you and i just like refused to eat fruit for a very long time actually but once i overcame like once i was just like it's fruit it's good for you like science will tell you it's good for you once i overcame that my body started craving it and I eat fruit all the time. My preferred snack is fruit. I eat cantaloupe like it's my job. Like, and that's just because A, I love it. B, my body wants it. And so, you know, you did a really good example of, of writing out everything you want and, and figuring out how it hurts your body. I mean, I like now, for example, if I do eat unwell for a long period of time, I physically feel bad from it as well. And so I know from a physical standpoint, I don't want to feel that way. So I, I won't, you know, and I'll make, better food choices. But that's from a physical standpoint. However, sometimes I'll, you know, give myself a stomach ache for a slice of pizza. No big deal. <laughs> same. No, honestly, same. <laughs> Cheese in general. I'm like, you know what? Sometimes it's like queso and I'm like, I'm just going to eat it. I'm going to be sick later. But in this moment, I'm going to enjoy the hell. I know. I, I have a slight intolerance to pork and it gives me like the worst stomach ache, but like sometimes I just want a hot dog, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, it'll be fine. I've got nothing planned for this afternoon. It'll be fine. Yeah. Moderation. <laughs> I think moderation is so key. I mean, when I, when I think about this stuff, I'm like, you know what? Everything in moderation. But I, but I would even err on the side of like not moderating yourself because that's when it you do kind of teeter on becoming obsessive. Like, oh, I had one cookie today, so I can't have anything else, quote unquote, mm. bad for the rest of the day. Like, eat a cookie, move on with your life. And if you want another one later, do it. You know what I mean? Like, but like you and like myself, and I think what a lot of people will start to find is like these things just physically make you not feel well. And so your body will, your body will tell you what to eat. And nine times out of 10, it'll be something healthy. Yeah. You know, what's interesting too, is I think when we talk about like the physical response of your body, like for me, it all kind of came back to mental health too. Like when I was eating poorly and my body, I would feel physically ill. Like my, you know, like my digestion was, I was inflamed. Um, I was like not feeling great. That would, that would show up in my mental state. You know, like, cause I, similar to you, you know, kind of suffered through a couple of things like anxiety. And I noticed, I mean, through kind of doing that whole like journal exercise, at least for me, was I, when I was explaining what was going on in my body after eating something, it was, it was always followed by not just the physical, but also the mental. And like for me, same with exercise, and we're going to get into exercise too, because I know fitness is a big um, thing for you. Uh, but if I knew that I could fix my mental state, through like changing my food or the way that I exercise, like I was much, much more excited yeah. to do it and not so yeah. much, not mm. so much, uh, you know, like you mentioned, like hating the gym or making it look like, feel like a punishment or eating healthy as a punishment. Like it was actually like, I knew it was good for my- Yeah. Brain. I mean, one thing for me was when I was like going through in, um, intense periods of depression and anxiety, I actually didn't eat. I mean, my appetite just like went away. So yeah, so like when I was depressed, like I just did not eat for like days on end. And I, what I would do is when I would was feeling like, oh, I'm fat and nobody likes me, I would channel that. I'm like, oh, when I was depressed, you know, six months ago, I was able to starve myself for four days. I'm just going to do it again. You know, I can, it was like, I had the willpower to do it then. I can definitely do it now. And in both times, you know, mental state was not good. And I just still wasn't having the freedom to, to just like, 
make healthy decisions and make the right choices. And it just kind of led to, you know, it was like a, it's like a cycle. And like when you, if you go through C, if you've ever goes through CPT, they'll, they'll teach you to get out of these cycles of thoughts, but that's exactly what I was doing. It was just like, I'm wait, depressed. what's CPT for anybody who doesn't know? Sorry. C, C, CP, CBT, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. It's about, um, unlearning kind of like your patterns and in, in your thinking and stuff. Um, and that, but that's exactly what I was doing. It was just like this over and over again. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I need to starve myself. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I need to binge. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I need to exercise till I die. Like over and over and over. But, and once I got the components right, I was able to, to break free of that, that cyc- cyclical type of thinking. Mm. So what were like, what were the things like, what, what were the components that made it feel right for you? You know, it's funny. It's because I can't really like pinpoint like exactly what it was. It was more for so this like waking up one day and just feeling like, yes, I get to do what I want to do today because I am like out of this thought cycle. I mm. can go to I can go to the gym and I'm gonna fucking love every minute of that exercise. I'm gonna eat a pizza afterwards and I'm gonna love every bite of it and I'm not gonna feel ashamed. And once I got to that point, like, you know, there's no going back. Oh, I'm so curious. That's, you know, that's incredible. Like the way that you were able to transition your thought patterns around food and exercise like that. And I know, you know, you're a personal trainer now and you, you work with a lot of clients, um, uh, who might be suffering from maybe the same things that you were in the past, and maybe even people listening might recognize some of the patterns that you've experienced in the past in themselves. And I'd love to really dive into some specifics of things okay. that you would recommend people do to start to like unpack some of that emotional, um, some of the things that might be triggering them. So, I mean, I think it's really important for people to kind of figure out what are these triggers. Like most most episodes of depression or anxiety or eating um, disorders stem from some type of trigger. It could be, a, you know, you were abused as a child or, you know, your father wasn't around or whatever the case may be. I would say that's step one. Figure out why you're, you're really experiencing these things. Step two would kind Wait, of be, before we even before we even move on because that that's a that's a hard one. Um, oh, it's hard. It's hard as fuck. <laughs> it's hard as fuck. Like, how do you? How, what are some tools you can use to maybe uncover that? Like, I, I'll tell you right now. Um, not even for food, but for for other things. Like, I'm I'm testing out hypnosis, and it's all about that. Okay. It's like it's like unblocking some of these underlying patterns that you might not recognize. Like we talk about like shadow work. Like there's all these like things right now that uh, I think are kind of like buzzy that are tools people can use. And I'd love to hear maybe some of the ones that you've tried. Hypnosis is super cool. I've never actually tried it, but I have. um, So I've done heaps of journal work and they wouldn't even necessarily be like on something specific. So for example, what I started to do is if I felt like a binge was coming on, I would just, instead of going for the food, I would go for a pen and a paper and I would just write my feelings. Sometimes they were a blubbering mess. Sometimes they were a cohesive story. And I actually, that was kind of when I had the breakthrough in, in why I was doing what I was doing. That's when I kind of figured out through journaling that 
I was substituting love for food. So I would highly, highly recommend journaling. I would highly, highly recommend um, meditation as well. And one fun thing that I also noticed about exercise is that it is meditation. And I started to treat it as meditation. So I would go in for an hour-long fitness class and I would think about nothing except that fitness class, whether it's the reps, whether it's the speed on the treadmill, whether it's the weight or whatever. And just think about that. And I would come out and I would feel so good because I just had this hour-long meditation session and I felt amazing. And then Mm. from there, I would start... Um, and I found this to be helpful when I would when I would tell give this exercise to my clients as well is before you exercise, think about how you are going to feel after you exercise and use that to propel you to exercise. Mm. And, and I always say so that's ma- the hardest part is like getting your ass there. <laughs> yeah, that is the hardest part, especially well, if for some reason, it's weirdly hard to exercise at home during this pandemic. I don't know why what. The motivation to get up to your front yard has been very difficult for people, but the feeling of it being over is like the driving force to get you through it. And once you are able to kind of adapt that way, you'll do that for so long. And then, you know, exercising becomes second nature. Um, Mm -hmm. Another, I've experienced, I've experienced that myself a hundred percent, 110%. Like actually, um, I, 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 my anxiety came in a little bit later in life. Like it was like after I graduated college, like early, my early twenties, when I was like on my own, I started really experiencing really bad anxiety where I was like suffering all hours of the day. And I would go to a yoga class, like a hard power flow class. And for that one hour, my brain wasn't doing gymnastics or like running around Mm -hmm. like squirrels in my brain for one hour. I was like focused on what I was doing, like getting through the workout. And it always made me feel so good. And like to this day, I I, I think working out is not like a bad thing. Like it's not something I dread. I'm like always excited. (laughs) That sounds very off brand for big kid problems, (laughs) but I'm like truly like I, I look at that shit as like very therapeutic and, and great. Yeah, absolutely. And another fun thing that I like to do, and I actually kind of accidentally started doing this. I didn't even like need to start doing this. Is visualizing. And so what I what I tend to do is like because I'm a I'm a morning exerciser. I don't like to exercise if it's not first thing in the morning. But is before like when I'm laying in bed at night is I actually like visualize the workout and I visualize myself going to the gym and like feeling how it feels when you lift a weight, feeling how it feels when you run on the treadmill, feeling how it feels when you do a squat, and enjoying those feelings. And Mm. what happens is I wake up the next morning and I'm like, yep, first thing, get up, get your gym kit on, head to the gym. And it's, and it's, I've actually experienced that after feeling before as well, you know, because I've just, I've just like visualized this like amazing gym session. You visualize before you go to bed? Yeah. Cause I mean, I don't know uh, if you were, if say somebody, cause I know a lot of people like to exercise and stuff after work. I mean, maybe on your lunch break or something, but like, yeah, a good solid half hour of me just visualizing like an amazing workout. And then the next day I'm like ready to go. Yeah. That's so, that's so cool. Um, I was just reading this book recently that was talking about visualization practices. Cause I, tr- I, I used to be better about doing visualizations and then I kind of get, got lazy with it, but it talked about like the timing of your visualization and like doing it before bed is such like a crucial point because like shortly after you fall asleep, like if you do your visualizations like before, right before bed or when you're laying down to go to sleep, you're 
going to slip into your subconscious because you're going Mm -hmm. to bed. And those visualizations will actually like continue in your subconscious. And it's just like, I've heard it. I don't know the science behind this, guys. (laughs) I literally, I just read a book and I'm regurgitating it to you. But it it just said that that was like a really powerful time to do it because your subconscious will kind of take it, take it even a step further when you're not even thinking about it. So I think that's interesting that you do it before bed. I'm going to, I'm going to try, I'm going to try. That's like one thing I'm going to start trying to do. Maybe not about working out, but just like mm. visualizing me making like a million dollars like before bed. <laughs> I mean, I'm a Pisces, so I daydream like all day long. But like I, fi- I do find that the most um, powerful visualizations are at night. Maybe it is because I'm getting ready for bed. But that's also when I like to do guided meditations as well, which are also super helpful. And you can do guided meditations on anything and everything on making a million dollars to, you know, succeeding in relationships and things of that nature. So that's another really good, really good thing to do. Do you have any do you have any favorites or any recommendations? I mean for gu- for guided meditation there's a guy oh his on YouTube um Hypnotic Labs a guy called Joe Tracy I think his name is it's called Hypnotic Labs and he has guided meditations on literally like everything a lot of manifesting he does a lot of past life regression stuff as well if you're interested in that spirit guides like all sorts Oh, I'm so here for that shit. <laughs> I'm going to include that in show mm-hmm. notes for anybody who wants to uh, dive in a little bit deeper. I, I, I'm, I'm going to. Yeah, Joe, hypnotic Joe Tracy Hypnotic Labs is really good. Some visualizations. What else you got? So visualizations, um, meditations, and one thing, another thing, kind of is allowing yourself to like just rest. Like some di- sometimes like you just wake up and you just don't feel like going to the gym. So don't, you know, don't put yourself in a situation where the gym then turns into a chore because that's when you start to not enjoy it. Or don't mm. put yourself in a situation where you feel like eating well is a chore because you won't enjoy it if it becomes a chore. So like rest days are like the absolute, not even rest from just exercise, but rest from like the world. Like just take a day, lay in bed, watch TV and enjoy it. You know, turn off your phone or only play on your phone. I don't know what people like to do in the rest, (laughs) but just absolutely switching off and just like enjoying your own company and just like loving every second of being lazy and doing nothing. I find is also super, super helpful. Uh, like I'm at the point where I actually do that once a week. I have like one day, I think it's going to be tomorrow of just not doing, <laughs> <laughs> of just not doing anything and just enjoying it. Dude, I, that's such an important point. That's something I've realized actually through quarantine. Like that's like one thing, I, one good thing I will chalk up to quarantine is I'm somebody who is just like very like results driven. So like I, I, I'm always pushing myself every single day. Like, what did you get done? And then feeling guilty if I like had off days. And then obviously like we all just experienced this where like the world was basically like put us through fucking rest period, (laughs) like whether we Mm. wanted it or not. And that was like something I struggled with in the beginning was like turning off and being like, you know what? I'm not going to like sell anything today. I'm not going to like, try and accomplish anything today because the world's on fire and I'm going to sit this one out. And it Mm. it is like an incredibly powerful thing like for some people listening who are maybe used to just being on, 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 on all the time. Exactly. Uh, And that's like another part of like, I think what my depression was from was like this pressure to always be on and always be selling and always be like trying to achieve your goals and always be striving for the best and blah, blah, blah. And it's like some days I just don't fucking want to do that. You know, some days I just want (laughs) to, I just want to do absolutely nothing. And I don't give a flying fuck who cares about it. Yeah. You know, 
And yep, so I yep, think yep. that's super important to, to maintaining your, your mental health. 100%. Love that. Okay. So that's great. I mean, those are a lot of right there. Like those are a lot of really great little like mental hacks you can do uh, for any other, any other little like mindfulness techniques or things like if you ever have like clients that are really having a hard time getting their ass to the gym. Yeah, no. So like I was saying, like, you don't have to like go to the gym and like kill yourself. Like that, that you, it's fun, but like you don't actually like have to sit and like die. Like you can take it easy. You can go to the local YMCA and go for a swim for 20 minutes. You can go do a yoga class, which, you know, a beginner's yoga class, which isn't super um, strenuous. You can just go for a walk around a track. I mean, it doesn't actually have to be like, you know, CrossFit or anything like that. It can just be something simple, something to get you moving, something to to get you out of the house, something to to do for yourself so that you like feel better about yourself. And what you'll find is what I find with my clients a lot is because if I have a client that comes to me and she's particularly stuck, I'll just say to her, start by start by going for walks. Like mm. after dinner after dinner, go for a 20 minute walk they will almost always graduate from a 20-minute walk to a 30-minute walk to a 40-minute walk to a 20-minute run to a 30-minute run. And it'll always grow from there. So it doesn't really matter what your fitness level is. It doesn't really matter what like, you know, how much you weigh or like where you're coming with your, your habits and stuff. Like anybody can do like what I did and transform their life. It's just like, they just need to start. Yeah. That's such a great point. Like you, it can be a little intimidating. I think people like are like, "Oh shit, do I need to fucking flip tires <laughs> to like lose weight?" It's like, no, you should you can walk the dog, and that's good. That's great too. I mean, um, you know, talk about like not pushing yourself to too many extremes. Like, yeah, there's some days that I I want to work out and I I want to you know do like a 45 minute intense like hit workout, and other days like I'm just gonna walk the dog around a block, but it's it still makes me feel good when I walk the dog around the block. Like it's getting out in nature. It's, you know, getting your heart rate up a little bit. So I I like that you made that point for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it is like kind of intimidating to go from like, if somebody's going from being, you know, overweight, not really exercising, having really bad habits to, to like, oh my God, exercise for enjoyment. And I don't have to, place restrictions on myself. Like what, what are you talking about? It's absolutely terrifying, but it's taking that first step. And what I do a lot of the times with my clients as well, is I just like challenge them. Like I will say to them, you know, what do you want for dinner and just eat it. And like, how do you feel about, and then tell me how you feel about it afterwards. And a lot of the times they do start with, Oh, guilt and shame and this and that, whatever. And I'm like, okay, now let's think about this. Like, does it really matter? Like, does it really matter that you've, you've eaten this? Does it really matter that you, you know, like ate a whole pie of pizza. Like, no, it doesn't really matter. What really matters is how you feel and how, what makes you happy. Did that pizza in that moment make you happy? Yeah, absolutely. It's pizza. But what you're feeling is this guilt, which is a, a societal or, you know, an unresolved trauma or something telling you that you should feel guilty about it. And so yeah. that's kind of, yeah, that's like where I like to start mostly with clients is like, just like baby steps, you know, eat the pizza and enjoy it. And then we'll talk about, and then we'll talk about how good it was, you know, go for a walk and let's talk about it. And we'll talk about how good it was, you know, but it's getting people to that first step. Totally. 
Well, I really, I really love all of these like little mindfulness techniques that you've shared. And I'm really excited, like happy for you to see that you were able to turn around like a pretty dark time to what sounds like a, a slow, a slow and steady journey out of that. And now are able to help so many other people do the same. So if there's been a wild ride, yeah, (laughs) I think it's important too. like people like look at me, look at you or look at anybody who's like in shape or a personal trainer and be like, oh, wow, they've probably been like this their whole lives. But like, no, you can come out of shit and and change. I mean, truth be told, I mean, if any, any listeners like go onto my Instagram, you'll look at me. I don't actually look like a, a personal trainer because I do enjoy food and I do enjoy you know, the freedom that I've given myself. And so if I want pizza, I do eat pizza. You know, the, a lot of the per, typical personal trainers, if you see, they'll probably tell you they eat pizza, but they, but they probably don't. You know what I mean? And it, it's a bit of a facade and stuff. And like, I want to also kind of stress here is that, you know, being a size two, like means nothing. Being a size zero is not important. What's, be, what's important is what's going on in your mind and that you're happy. And if being a size six makes you happy, then fucking awesome. And if being a size 10 makes you happy, awesome. Like that's what really matters, you know? 100%. I'm going to like <laughs> clip that, put it on like a revolving <laughs> note. Like that was, that's so, that's very, very, very true. And you know what? Being a size two sometimes, like if you think that that's going to make you happy, I, I can promise you, I know lots of size two people who are not happy. I mean, I'm pretty, yeah. sure when I, I'm pretty sure when I tried to kill myself, I was a size two. So I will tell you right now, it doesn't make you happy to be a size two. Oh my gosh. So crazy. Well, I'm, I'm really happy uh, <laughs> that you were able to share some of these experiences today. And for anybody who wants, you know, maybe who, who might be going through some of this stuff, two questions. One, any resources or any other like words of wisdom you want to share? And then two, let us know where we can find you and connect with you. Um, so some really amazing resources are books by a woman called Janine Roth. Um, she speaks very eloquently about binge eating and other eating disorders. Um, so I would highly recommend books by her to kind of like get yourself going. I mean, when I started reading her books, I, it was like the first time that I realized that like I wasn't alone in this because I felt so alone when I realized what was going on. Um, so I would highly, highly, highly recommend her books. In terms of where you can find me, you can find me on Instagram. My handle is at Jen with two N's, J-E-N-N, Kahan, K-A-H-A-N. And I'm starting up a Facebook group over the next few days, um, which we will do trainings on mindfulness and exercises and things of that nature to help get you away from those bad food and fitness habits. So yeah. Amazing. Okay. I'm going to link all of that in show notes for anybody interested. And God, that was actually a point you made early on that I wanted to circle back to about uh, some, you you said, you know, when you, when you first started doing initial research and you, and you heard about like bulimia and binging and you were like, oh shit, that's me. But up until that point, you had been living this in this cycle that you thought was normal. And that Uh, is like... Mm-hmm. That's such a thing. I think for anybody who is like suffering like with any mental issues, like or any kind of like mental health issues or all kinds of things. Like I know for me, suffering anxiety, I suffered for months with anxiety, just thinking that it was normal. Oh, and then, totally. Like I, like I had suffered for the shit for years and had no idea, like not a single clue, especially with the eating stuff. Like I was doing some mindfulness tricks. And I'm like, okay, when was the first time I you know, binged or restricted myself. And the first time I had restricted myself was like for spring break diet in like 2008. 
Okay. You know, like 10 years ago. And I was like, holy shit, I have been doing this for over 10 years and I had no idea. I thought it was normal. Yeah. That was just a big thing I wanted to circle back to. So like anybody listening, like take some inventory. I, this is a part of the reason I wanted to bring you on Jen, because I think hearing other people's stories like can really, uh, you know, you, you can, you can pinpoint maybe some things that might be relatable to somebody who's listening, who might be like having some light bulbs go off, be like, Oh wait, like maybe some of these uh, thoughts that I'm having about food aren't, <laughs> aren't great, you know? Um, so that's, yeah. That, yeah. Take inventory for anybody listening. Yeah. Like anybody who's sitting there, like who like last night, like ate, you know, the entire kitchen and then felt such shame around it, like, and felt such guilt around it. Like that's probably worth something looking at because there's nothing wrong with just eating the whole kitchen. You know what I mean? But the feelings around it is what's, what's causing, um, you know, is what's causing the unhappiness. So anybody doing those kind of things, anybody who's like doing that and then not eating for three days, like that's something else that's like worth looking into. Anybody who's overeating and then trying to exercise it away, that's also something that like, you know, should be looked into because these are all habits of somebody who's experiencing eating disorders. Mm. Okay. Amazing. Well, I'm so glad that you could be on to talk about your experience and hopefully for anybody listening, uh, this, this was eye-opening um, to and just something to, to keep, keep tabs on, you know, be, be mindful of Jen. Thank you so much for being on. I'm going to link all your stuff in show notes and we appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. I really enjoyed talking to you. All right, guys, that is a wrap on our episode this week. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe picked up some useful info on the way. If you did enjoy this episode, please take a screenshot and share it on social or send it to a friend you think might like it. It really, really helps this little show grow. Or you can rate and review it, which is also just a huge, huge help. If you guys do either one of those, like share it on social or leave a review, send me a little screenshot or a DM. I will be giving out prizes every single week. If you want to connect with me or just need some laughs, check me out on Instagram at Big Kid Problems, or you can follow my personal at Sarah A. Merrill and let me know your thoughts on this show. Over the next few months, I'll be lining up interviews for the next season. So like I said earlier, if you have a guest you really, really want on or a topic you want covered, just let me know. Until then, have a fun and safe holiday weekend. Make some bad decisions out there and I will see you next Tuesday. Tuesday.